as a lesson I've learned coming out of past experiences, prioritizing yourself and your life over your work is really empowering and freeing. And so in the time since I've recovered from being in, in bad spots previous to levels, I think as I've taken on new roles, I've created really, really healthy boundaries and really healthy non-negotiables for what I want to focus on in life that is not specifically work. And so creating those, holding those dear and highly and protecting them is kind of like a, a good antidote to getting into a, a burnout situation. I'm Ben Grenell, part of the growing team here at Levels. We're a venture-funded startup backed by more than a thousand of our community members and some of the best VCs in the game, including Andreessen Horowitz. On this podcast, we talk about everything we do. We share the learnings about our culture and what we're building along the way. This is Inside the Company. Startups move really fast and with speed comes burnout. Well, burnout happens at any company. It's really easy to get disengaged when you stop liking the work that you're doing or when you've got too much of it or when you feel like you're outside of your comfort zone. Burnout's not something that is isolated to the startup world. It very much affects many people in many different roles across different companies. So how do you balance? How do you mitigate this idea of burnout? What are the conditions that you can create yourself to make sure that you're living this balanced life, the sense of balance, something we're focused on as a team. And we don't want to pontificate to the team. We don't want to pontificate to others, but it's something that we're so anchored in the way that we think about it. We want to make sure that we are living the values that we set out. It's not just talk. It's something that people live. So we do all we can to make sure that when there are things like burnout that might be on the horizon, well, we have to hit the nail on the head. So Michael Mizrahi, head of operations, Miz, as many of you have come to know him, he wrote a memo on burnout. And the idea was just to address it, to say, hey, this thing might be in the air and it's not something that everyone will feel in the same way. Burnout is very much something that people feel individually. What makes one person feel engaged might make another person feel burnt out. So Ms. and I sat down and we discussed this memo. We went into the idea of what exactly might cause burnout and some of the strategies to mitigate it, why it's important and how we think about it internally as a team. Anyway, no need to wait. Here's a conversation with Ms. One of the things that was interesting about writing this memo was um, in writing it, I didn't want to suggest that people were burning out or make any assumptions about what people were feeling, but I did want to put a finger on the pulse and just kind of call out that this can be a thing and it's something we should look out for. We should have the language and the vocabulary to talk about it, and we should really define and understand what it actually means. It's a phrase that's very easy to throw around, um, similar to other phrases in culture, but I think recognizing it where it truly exists and preventing that state is the important part. Uh, and so that was a big part of the effort, um, was just trying to understand where people are at, what conditions exist that might create situations where people are overworked or potentially burning out, um, and just get us thinking about it. It's a tough thing to do in a remote culture where you don't physically see people. And so you can't sense their change in state. You can't understand that they're like skipping lunch or look stressed and they're taking an extra afternoon walk or um, they're at their desk late and coming in early and they look irritable. 
the kinds of things that you pick up on in a qualitative sense in an in-person environment don't exist for us. And so it's possible to go a day or a few days without really seeing someone. You might get a loom, you get their written thoughts, but you're not really understanding how they're doing and how they're feeling. And so uh, intentionally and explicitly calling that out, making sure that we make an effort to connect with one another, to check in, checking with ourselves, checking with our peers, checking with our reports, our managers, whatever it might be. Um, the hope is that like inserting that into the culture starts a positive uh, cycle around the topic. Yeah, and burnout can can be so personalized as far as it's very personal in because it's subjective, right? What one person feels, let's make up an example. Um, one person gets 10 emails a day and they don't like communication. That feels overwhelming. It's like, I have to do this task and it's making this consistency that I get this seven days a week, whatever it is, it makes me feel burnt out. And another person might get like 50 or a hundred messages a day and they hammer through them. And that's leading to zero burnout. So it's like to to extrapolate something that is like this equals burnout and this is how to manage it or how to mitigate it, it can't be done. And that's why it's important to highlight um, burnout is very personal. It's very subjective in view and lens. What can be beneficial though is hearing stories about how other people have dealt with situations in the past or what makes them feel the sense of anxiety or burnout so that other people can take nuggets out of it and say, here's how I'm going to design against it for myself. Exactly. And there's the distinction, the core distinction of the memo was that um, there's overworking and there's overinvesting. And I think that was the key point that had come up in some side conversations and kind of thinking about the topic of what it means to flirt with burnout to get into that red zone for a sustained period of time. Um, we can share all the tips in the world, and we have to, to avoid overwork and to like add productivity and efficiency to your workflow and to remove unnecessary work and to delegate uh, and to rely on systems. And those all really, really help. Those very much help against um, overworking and getting bogged down in like tens of emails or a lot of process and all these kinds of things, you know, taking time to do the work. Check, that's great. That doesn't address the core issue, in my opinion, of what burnout truly is, which is that deeper piece of overinvesting your identity and work. Um, and what's tricky about our, our environment and what the memo set out to describe was that we have a culture that's ripe for creating burnout. Um, we have a big, exciting mission. We have um, people doing the work of their lives, something that they care deeply about that's personal because they have family members affected. They care about the metabolic health crisis. They, they want to impact this big problem. Um, we have peers and coworkers who are high performers. And so you look left and you look right and you see people just like working hard and doing great work with a lot of really good output, not in the hustle culture sense, but in the truly great work. People are doing exceptional things uh, and, and shipping really good product. And so you've got that. So you've got the social element. And then we've hired people that are achievers uh, and who want to perform well and, and have some high bar of quality for themselves. And so you add that on and all these other things. I think I listed out like maybe five or six features of our culture. Um, and then you add the remote, which kind of obstructs and obfuscates the view of people that you've got. Um, and it's very easy to end up pouring yourself into the work in a way where your identity and your personal life starts getting mixed up in the work itself. 
Um, and when, when you cross that line, that's where you're in, in a danger zone. And it doesn't mean you're burned out if you're fully investing your identity and work, but it means you are very susceptible. You're, you're at an elevated glucose level. Uh, you're in the bad zone where if something goes wrong, if something, an interaction goes sour or a project gets derailed or, or some challenge gets hit, you approach that and you feel that as a hit on yourself and on your own character and your own identity and your own success potential instead of seeing it as a challenge that you have to solve at work. Uh, and so the other needle to thread here going into a little bit of a, of a side conversation is we don't want to, as a team, send a message to each other that like, this doesn't matter. This is just work. Just like put in a day's work and walk away. Like it, it's not important. Um, it's just a day job because it's not, it, it is meaningful work. And I think it, it requires some level of investment on a personal level to do great work to kind of move this startup forward and improve out this concept and build this company for all the people that, that need it. Um, but we also need to keep ourselves healthy uh, and keep ourselves here for the long term because we don't know what twists and turns are coming. And so we need to do that at a sustainable pace. And the best way I found to do that is to create some separation between work identity and personal identity uh, and make sure that those are both kept in somewhat in, in harmony. I don't want to say balance because I know the work-life balance conversation is a, is a different one, a lot of different perspectives. There's so many things that can lead to this sense of burnout too, where you highlighted it. We have, we have a lofty mission. We're addressing a global problem and people are connected to it emotionally in all of these different ways. These are things that you highlighted. But the other thing to take into consideration is like, in addition to startups are inherently risky and ambiguous and ever changing, we're on the edge of that because we're trying to basically invent a new way of working and reinvent this way of working. And it's not that remote work is this new thing. It's that Levels version of remote and asynchronous work is constantly evolving. And not having routine can feel overwhelming, can feel scary, can feel like that. this sense of constant change can feel degrading and lead to burnout as well because it's just sort of like, I was just getting the hang of, let's use threads. I was just getting the hang of threads and tomorrow we decide we're not using threads anymore. Like that sense of change can feel so uncomfortable that it just feels like I've got this pile of work on my plate. Now I have to go learn this new thing. I'm feeling burnt out because I have a lot of work. I care about the work I'm doing. There's no there's no consistency in like, here's the only way to approach it. And so I think that it's just this matter of we tend to evolve and change and iterate on the company building side of things, not the go-to-market, the company building side of things so quickly that that can be really hard too. Yeah, the ground is moving and you've got to kind of keep up with it. And that's a second full-time job, especially here where there is a lot of change and there is a lot of iteration on the culture itself. Um, there's a new memo process that's released. There's new states. Well, what about the memo I wrote last week? Do I follow the same process? Do I go through the new one? Um, now I have to read this memo to understand how to release a new memo. And so there's work about work that we're introducing. Um, the, the message to communicate really is that change is constant and the expectation is that things are going to move and getting comfortable with that ambiguity and just that constant adjustment is part of, uh, is part of being successful in this kind of work environment. Um, were we to hold everything steady and not iterate on the company side of things, it would still, there would still be things that would break uh, and would probably be more painful. And so 
um, getting comfortable with that change is, is tricky uh, and creating that second responsibility, that second job for everyone to keep up with all the change, yeah, c can absolutely be overwhelming, especially in an environment where you're on your own. You're talking to the ambiguity of the day and the schedule where like it's on you to schedule that on your own and kind of figure out your cadence and get used to things. And so um, I think there's a balance of giving people control to manage their own days and structure their own work, uh, but also need to also do that within a structure where you're working with other people and need to have some sort of coordination that keeps everyone on the same page. One of the things you brought up before was the idea of being around a number of people that all have different approaches to work, different work styles, and are putting out work at different cadences. They, maybe they have different areas, different functional areas they are part of, but it's the idea of not comparing yourself to others. So that can lead to a sense of burnout too. So if I'm looking at it and I'm going, wow, look at Ms. Ms. is putting out all this work and I start to compare myself to you, you've got a completely different work style, a completely different work output. And that's just a bad, uh, a mental landslide to get into where of course it's going to be a downward spiral of, of negative self-talk, right? Of course that's going to lead to burnout over time. We're all working at the edge of skill set and challenge, which is like what can lead to burnout, but it can also lead to a flow state if you allow it to. So knowing that that to give Tim Kendall a, a, a nod in the podcast that he and Sam did some time ago, and he was talking about the early days of Facebook where everyone would get compared in performance reviews. And it felt terrible to be at the mean, like your average, but you're at the average of all of these high performing people and everyone wanted to be in the 90th percentile. And so understanding like, there's a reason that the mean is called the mean, because like, we are all average, like we're all average. And when you're the average of a group of people that are performing at a very high level, like that's an incredible thing to be a part of. And it's being comfortable that that is where you are. And so getting out of that mental block of comparing yourself to others and thinking through things like, well, I wasn't in the 90th percentile of like early Facebook and it might feel bad, but you have to recognize that it's like, tell yourself that it's really good to be at the mean. Yeah, and that, that mean is the mean for a reason. <laughs> That was another principle in the memo that uh, I think we tried to communicate clearly is that there's nothing to worry about unless there's something to worry about. And so, um, you know, trust that you're doing a good job, you're performing well, uh, and you're in a good spot. Like everyone is trusting you, believes that the work you're doing is, is of high quality, you're putting out what you're expected to. And of course, you're going to have personal pressure on yourself to meet deadlines and to deliver things fully. But we don't want people working from a place of fear where like they're wondering if they're going to be fired or like that their manager is unhappy with them. And so in a few different points, try to really deliver that, that message that unless you're actively aware of an issue, don't think that there's something underlying. Like that's just your own, that's you telling that to yourself uh, and getting over that bit of fear um, helps you get to a more sustainable place where you're not working in a state of, of anxiety uh, of what might happen if you are a day late on this thing, or you don't deliver this fully, or whatever it might be, and so um, that 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 plays into the calm work environment that's come up in some other conversations. Creating a calm environment where people can just do good work and focus on that, and not get anxious about all the the pieces around it. And so I, I hope that came through as well. 
um, was just kind of reassuring folks that you're good unless otherwise. What are let's digress from the memo for a second, then we'll come back. What are some of your personal experiences with burnout? Like some of the instances where it's happened and like what happened and then what did you do about it? Because did you recognize it was coming? Like, I don't know, what what are some things that you really think about when you try to avoid it now? Yeah. Um I can think to probably if maybe I think two discrete times in in my career to date that I've definitely uh, been in that zone and recognized it. And I think um, it's always interesting because it's very easy for other people to recognize. And it's usually really hard for you to recognize yourself because you're so tied up in whatever thing that you're, you're excited about or like worked up about. Um, and so the indicators for me are when you're like just really, really emotionally invested in some situation and it every single turn that it takes has the ability to just totally rock you. Um, mm -hmm. And you stop being able to like zoom out and think of it as a problem solver. And you start just thinking about it as just like a very um, reactionary, like emotional experience. And so that's an indicator that uh, you're probably in too deep. The other is kind of the opposite. And I think this just depends on people and how they process things and, and how they work is when you really just like don't care anymore whatsoever. Like you've got no energy left to give um, and you know that like the finish line might be right around the corner. If you can just kind of like push through this last little bit, the project's almost finished, but you don't care. You're just like, I'm done. Like I'm so exhausted from this and I've got not much left in the tank. Um, and so I think it, it, it takes on different, uh, characteristics depending on, on the person him or herself. Um, the thing that is then like the, the gut reaction is, oh, well, like, we're going to send you to Bali for a week. Like you just need to go to a beach and unwind. And, and that actually doesn't sound appealing. You're like, that doesn't fix my problem. I'm not um, in need of like sun. I, I don't care about the situation anymore. And then you come back from that. And it's like your situation hasn't changed. Your emotional engagement with the situation hasn't changed in practice, probably just moved on. Um, but you're still a cynic. You're still, you know, mad at the, the situation and the system. Um, and, and those band-aids don't really fix any of, of the feelings that you've got. And so it's really hard to come back and to bounce back effectively, which is, I think, why putting energy up front to prevent getting to those sour spots is probably a, a better effort. Yeah, it can lead to deep resentment over time. It could be resentment for the problem that you're working on, maybe a project you're working on, maybe other teammates that you're working with, maybe the company in itself. Like, there's no one thing that that happens but it's it eventually will lead to that mm -hmm. do, you, do you have any do you have any stories that you'd be open to sharing as far as your experience with it Oof. um i don't have anything top of mind to to jump into um only because they're, they're so situational and so specific to like what was going on at the time and where you were in life and kind of all these things but what i'd say as a um as a lesson I've learned coming out of, of past experiences is really prioritizing yourself and your life over your work um, is really empowering and freeing. And so in the time since I've kind of gotten, since I've, I've recovered from being in, in bad spots previous to levels, I think as I've taken on new roles, I've created really, really healthy boundaries um, and really healthy non-negotiables for what 
I want to focus on in life that is not specifically work. Um, and so creating those, holding those dear and highly and protecting them um, is kind of like a, a good antidote to getting into a, a burnout situation. Um, we, we bounced this around with, with Darren from, from GitLab. I bounced this memo around with him and, and he added some thoughts. I think they call them um, priority portfolio or something like this. But basically it's like, what are your non-negotiables in life that you need to maintain that regardless of what happens at work, you will still do. And it might be getting eight hours of sleep a night. It might be eating a really healthy diet. It might be going to the gym three times a week on your regular schedule. Might be putting the kids to sleep every single night at the exact same time and being around for a family dinner. Like whatever those things are that give you some sort of like boundaries in life and something that you you have to attend to that's not specifically the work kind of prevents you from getting sucked into the rabbit hole and helps you keep some perspective on on what matters. Um, and this is again that that side note sidebar of like this doesn't mean don't work hard. It just means have boundaries and, and keep it healthy. Getting in front of them is so important and being able to have enough introspection that you can recognize it before it's happening. It's like seeing the storm on the horizon and go, I should probably grab my raincoat or there's like, I can see the rain coming because then you can mitigate against it. It's when you just let it fester and fizzle and you might sort of feel it. It's if you've been through it before and you can recognize it, then you can mitigate it. And mitigating is actually a pretty good thing because then you realize like, I sat out in the storm, I had my raincoat on, I didn't get wet and the storm passed, big deal. Like, that's it, that was a mitigation. But if you got soaking wet, it feels terrible and then you're grumpy and, and, and. That's, that's what I found one of the key factors to be is that anytime, personally, I feel a sense of anxiety about something, like it feels, I mean, one example, I think I, it was linked in that memo for what are personal examples? Um, using reminders in superhuman and every day there would be a flood of new a flood of reminder emails that would come in and you're like it feels terrible to get like 20 reminders to myself of these things that now i have to like do something with and filter through it was like a bad start to the day and so i was like well why don't i take care of those the night before because that's a different time slot and a and different mental energy and then i realized i was like why can't I just batch process all of these for the following week on one day, like a Friday for the following the week ahead? And some of them might be just like reset the reminder ahead. Some of them might be like, I don't need to deal with that anymore. And some might be like, oh, I'll send this now or I'll send, I'll do a send later on this exact message. So you're taking all the work of this thing that that would be like, I have my work to do. And now there's, it feels like there's some other thing that's dumping a bunch more work on my plate. It's like the mitigation was, it's making me feel bad. If I let this fester, it's going to lead to burnout of not feeling like I'm able to manage communication or be on top of the work that needs to be done. So you just move the things around until you find your own flow and go, this thing seems to be working right now. And if the second it stops working, you readdress, you identify like what isn't working and then you readdress. So it might be like to your examples of something feels off and it's like, oh, I've been missing dinner with my family, right? Too many nights a week. Well, just move that. That becomes your priority portfolio and like do that. And so finding all of those little cues and, and making sure that they fit your your lifestyle, your work style, all those things are so important. 
I wonder if it's possible to communicate these messages and these learnings um, enough that people can avoid them without having to to go there and to experience uh, getting into a, a bad spot. Um, so I wonder how much of this is learned through experience versus how much of this can be communicated and taught. And I don't know the answer, um, but my hope is that most people don't have to get into a bad spot at work. Like you can, you can pack the umbrella without ever having to get soaked because you know it's going to rain, right? Um, and so, yeah, curious for your thoughts on that. Like, do you do you think this can be taught or does it have to be experienced? I think it's a little bit of both. You can share anecdotes and stories and say, when this happened in the past or here was a situation when it did happen recently and here's how I dealt with it. Because every example is n plus one like maybe there are some examples that are analogs like they're relatively close and people could say cool i'll try that but what they might find is like that strategy doesn't work for them and so being able to take nuggets out of everyone's way of approaching things i think that's what it is it's probably more a matter of experiencing it and designing your own mitigation tactics around it i think that's mm -hmm. really the only way you can teach but you can't like you can you can read about push-ups, but until you do them, it's like you don't know how the arms will feel. Like they feel sore if you do a whole bunch of them in a row and you've never done them before. Like you can tell somebody that, but you got to feel it. Yeah, I think what's important is that we at least do talk about it so that people are comfortable bringing it up, comfortable exploring the topic, know their way around it, and know that it's not like a forbidden thing or something that they've done wrong if they get into a, a spot where they feel like they're they're overworked or overinvested or, or kind of in a burnout situation. So something we want to avoid by all by all measures, um, but giving people the tools to talk about it is, is the goal here. One of the things you wrote about in the memo is, there's a couple of things, actually, let's digress for a sec. There is one instance where burnout can take place, where it can evolve, and that is by a work environment where the conditions that are created are not supportive for mitigating against burnout. So we're very lucky to have you with your lens and Sam and Josh and ev like everybody who is very much focused on people ops to say the tone at the top is this. The opposite of that is there's a culture of disrespect and a culture where we come down on people in a culture of, right? And so like that can lead to burnout. Uh, assume a person's really good at managing their work and understanding what levers they have in their control to manage their own um, potential burnout. But then there's just this arbitrary pressure. Now, like bring it back to what you wrote in the memo is the idea of don't impose urgency where none exists. So it's if you're in an environment where everything's a fire drill, and we agree that we're async, but somebody constantly cold calls you and they demand things right away, that's just going to make you feel bad. And there's not as much you can do about it other than have the conversation with someone and say, this is the way that it makes me feel this is outside of our cultural practices of working. And if that tone at the top is consistently the sense of like, everything's urgent, everything's on fire, it, it doesn't matter who it is, everyone will feel burnt out over time by that sense of working. I, I think of friends that I've had who went into, say, like traditional finance or banking roles after they finished college. And the kinds of work environments that they're in are, are really, um, really intense and have like very high expectations for um, like butts and seats, hours worked, visibility. Uh, and you have people waiting around and I'm explaining this job, but I'm sure this is true of a lot of different jobs and industries and, and professions. Um, 
you have people who are, who are basically kind of like treated somewhat disposably, like they, their personal life doesn't matter. It's not considered in the operation of this company or the firm or whatever it might be. Uh, and like they have, let's say, an important investor meeting at 9 a.m. or something like this. And they have these, these folks sitting around at their desks until like 2 or 3 a.m. to like wait for the final file being sent from the partner. And then it's their job to like print and collate and collect it from the mailroom and deliver it to everyone's house by 4 or 5 a.m like go home and sleep for now and then come back and do it all again. And that doesn't have to be that way. There are very easy ways to solve for these kinds of problems if that's what you're trying to solve for. And so I think what's important to call out in, in understanding our culture is like, we don't want to create that, that kind of environment where people are doing kind of like unnecessary, mindless work with very high expectations when it's actually not that important. Um, and, and this is coming from, for me, if someone who like hasn't worked in, in finance, I don't understand that industry much. Uh, other than like anecdotes. So so I, I can't really speak firsthand, but it seems like how you care about people and, and how you understand them in their entirety, not just in like the commitment that they make to work uh, is a really important part of this. And that's where I think our culture is um, really good about being forward and um, and thoughtful and like considerate that work is important, but it's not everything to everyone. And people will have their own lives that also deserve some uh some credit on the calendar and some space. You need balance without a doubt. One of the things that would be good to go into is bandwidth, right? Bandwidth and balance. And I mean, I know we've talked about balance, but bandwidth. So we're going to make an assumption. Everybody is, uh, everybody is always working on as many things that they can do as effectively as possible. It's not, let's take on more and more and more. But because we are human and we like to please other people and we like to do a good job, we always like to take on more work and more work can equal burnout. And so one of the things that you addressed was this idea of don't be afraid to say no to non-priorities and avoid spending your time on busy or thankless work. So the idea of it's okay to say no, or you can say, Yes, not now. Yeah, it, it, it's, it sounds obvious, but giving people the permission to prioritize for themselves uh, is important. Um, we encourage that by talking often about project debt, about task debt, about prioritization. Um, it, it's very easy to like start a job and then six months in, you just have this like massive portfolio of things that you just do. You keep things running and you keep taking on more. Um, but it's okay to kind of reassess that and make sure that they're all still serving a purpose um, and getting rid of some things before you take on more things. Uh, and, and so the goal here is really just, you know, in a word, prioritization and focus uh, and to, to the boundaries conversation, having a sense of like what you can actually reasonably take on, where your limits are, uh, and just being mindful of that. As companies change, this is something we talk about all the time, giving away your Legos, evolution, roles change. Uh, some people might have gap filler roles as it's been referred to or roles where, I, I mean, you, you very much have had a gap filler role. Ones that comes to mind is the idea of everything related to people ops finance has been under your purview. Riley's on board. He is overseeing that. But the idea of as roles change, it can feel, um, Maybe there's some like loss aversion or there's something that feels a little bit painful about either giving away your Legos or 
you were doing this before and then starting to second guess yourself. You're no, you're no longer head of ops. You are head of research, making it up. And mm-hmm. it's like, you can play games with yourself and say, was I moved to head of research because I wasn't doing a good job in ops or, or, or you can keep going down all these examples, but you'd written this idea of keeping track of your role and the scope of your role and knowing what's under your control and knowing how to make sure that you don't go into the landslide that feels really painful as the company changes and as more people come on board. Yeah, I, I think you you nailed it there. Like roles will change, especially in, in this kind of environment. Um, being comfortable with that change, being aware of it, um, but also not going so far that you take on things that you're really not well qualified to do and you end up kind of like spending a lot more energy than you should on something that someone else who is qualified can very easily handle that without like doing hours of research on something that someone already knows and has experience with. Um, and so you might be taking on things organically because you say yes and you jump into these things and take on responsibility, but be very mindful of that uh, and don't let that kind of like role scope creep creep up on you too much. Um, it's, it's easy to let that happen. And that's when you end up with a lot of work and a lot of responsibility on a plate that you're actually not well suited to do. Uh, and that's that's also a dangerous spot because that's when you're going to get overwhelmed. That's when you feel like you're behind, uh, and that's when you're not going to be able to perform. And it just all cascades from there. Mm-hmm. Or or work that you were the best suited person to do at the time when the company was five people. When there were five, it was out of the five people that were around, you were <laughs> the best suited person to that thing. Even if you're not um, professionally suited, let's label it that professionally suited to do it long-term, you were the best at that time. And so having somebody come in to do that work, having the mindset, and this is the shift in mindset is having the mindset that you're really happy that they're here to do the work better than you did versus feeling, feeling like all the work that you've done is no longer valid or that they're taking away things from you and the work that you could be doing or were once doing, if you don't shift your mindset, everything will always be a lens on like, well, I should really be still doing that or I used to do that thing. But instead, be happy and say, it's amazing. Now I've got more bandwidth to do other things that I am now out of, let's say it's 50 people, the best person out of 50 to do that until we bring on more people who are going to be better than me to do this next thing and then keep giving away and scaling your time. Yeah, there's that piece of like once replacement and help has come and, and that's all great and like letting go and letting that happen. I think the the second point here is that it's, it's also a little bit earlier. It's like when you start taking on things that aren't within your scope or that you're not well qualified to handle, you can keep it afloat for some time, but don't be fooled that that is something that you should be doing. Be honest with yourself. that like, this is better suited by someone. I will keep it afloat for the next two months, but honestly, this is better for someone else. And that's the point I think I'm trying to make here is bring on the help um, because someone else is, is way better suited than you are. And and call it out. It can be helpful to call it out to the rest of the team and just be, because then everyone knows where you stand on that issue. Hey, I know I'm not the, I'm going to make this up. I know I'm not the best um, tax accountant on a state by state basis. I've done my best job possible, but we're going to need somebody eventually, right? Yeah. Like that becomes a thing where everyone goes, oh, I get it. Like, yeah, you're not going to hold on to this thing. You actually realize like just having having that level of transparency. That's like everyone else realizes that 
that person knows they shouldn't be doing this thing long term is super helpful because it sets the expectation of like, great, we're all on the same page about the state of this thing and where it's going to go. There's no ambiguity. Clear the air on to the next. And it gives you some nice cover because now, you know, you don't have to do a perfect job. <laughs> like there's a level of trust and 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 reflection, which say like, this is not my strong suit. I will do my best. I'm going to get the best resources and help that we can. But like, this isn't my thing. And so don't expect in the finance example, like me to be able to do our books as an accountant and, and run this on at this level that someone who is very well qualified and has done this for the last 10 or 15 years can come in and do it with their eyes closed. So don't expect that. I'll keep it afloat, but let's set reasonable expectations. So expectation setting is is a big one here um, and a big theme. The other theme is, is boundaries uh, and self-awareness. Those are the things coming out. Is that your way of rationalizing being below the mean? <laughs> exactly. It's not the question. A, a good thing that you mentioned too is not trying to be a superhero, connecting yourself with others and and showing that vulnerability. Hey, I'm feeling really um, anxious about, let's use like the, I'm feeling a little anxious about um, this, this state tax stuff. Let's just keep riffing on this example. I'm feeling a little bit anxious about it and maybe on the edge of burnout because it really feels like it is on the edge of my skill set. And I don't want to lead us down the wrong path. I think we need to address this sooner than later with a true working professional. And somebody might say, great, like, it sounds like we need to outsource this to somebody else if we're not going to bring on a full-time hire or like they can help you work through it and showing that vulnerability of, of the honesty with yourself and where you stand and the way you think about your role can just help to have that check-in buddy. And it's not about, um, it's not about gossip or back channeling or anything. It's about you having a conversation about the thoughts you have with somebody that you trust and as many people as you want to. And then they realize like, Hey, we all feel these things. No one is some superhero. No one's on some pedestal. We don't think of ourselves that way. Yep. There's two pieces here. The first is that sometimes just talking to someone about the concern, just like naming it for yourself is very healthy and helpful and might actually diffuse a lot of the the anxiety that you have around this certain thing. You might not even be looking for the help. You might just be looking for an outlet to express it. And so this is this is kind of like permission to talk to people if you're concerned about something, like have a peer that you can relate to and, and kind of just like, you know, release some steam, vent about a problem. You might not even be looking for a solution. The second piece is that when you talk about these problems and you admit that like you're human and you can't do everything, um, and you also invite in help. A lot of times those solutions that are obvious to someone else, like, oh, my friend did that. Let me just give him a call and, and let him get on the phone with you and tell, tell you what vendor to use and your problem will be solved in 10 minutes. You invite in help that like you might not have otherwise connected the dots on that you can't solve yourself. And so um, there's an element of just like having outlets and not bottling up these things that are on your mind. And the second order effect is that you might actually get help on the thing uh, and help point you back in the right direction because two minds are better than one. Um, and, and so that's the piece here is it's okay to talk about these things. Don't feel like you, you know, you're the one responsible for this and therefore you have to be doing an exceptional job at it and have it all under control. It's not realistic. We need to lean on one another. We need to be honest about our, our capabilities. Um, and we can't be like, you know, calm above water and then freaking out underneath. And the, the opposite side of that is, so one is the, on the initiation perspective, you initiate it. I come to you and I say, hey, Ms., I want to open up and 
talk about these things. It's it's hard to be vulnerable and talk about things that you're anxious about and things that you're feeling uneasy about because we're human and it's just like really hard to do those things no matter how much you tell yourself I'm going to do this. The opposite side is having somebody that mines for it but not in a way where where they're digging aimlessly for some thread of gold in a rock. What they're trying to do is to check in. So having someone that just goes, especially where where it's helpful is maybe having somebody that your peers with or somebody that you you talk with frequently and just saying like how how are you feeling about things, and sometimes doing that showing enough that you care. Somebody will say you know, I'm feeling a little anxious about this state tax thing, and that just by opening up that conversation like it would have never come up otherwise but they they open the door for that conversation to happen and there's two things like the next layer of it is and this is where having the conversations can be helpful or or maybe they can be frustrating so somebody starts to to somebody opens that door and they say hey miss like how are you feeling about things and then you start talking and what they start doing is they're solutioning mm-hmm. and you say in the back of your mind, you just want to be like, stop. I'm not looking for a solution. I just want you to listen. I just want to tell you this stuff and I'm going to walk away. I'm going to feel a lot better. I just needed to talk about it. That's it. And making the assumption that people want the solution immediately can be really hard. And so framing it as you open up, like the doors open up, how you feeling about things, you start talking. And when the opportunity arises, you say, do you want me to listen? Or is this something that you want me to help work through with you? Yep. And just having that next layer of honesty and openness and transparency helps to get to a better place. Because if you say, I kind of do need help with a solution, I don't even know who to ask. All of that's going to get a lot easier. But the opposite is like you wanted somebody to listen, they solutioned and you feel frustrated. You leave the conversation. You're like, why do I even open up about these things? Like, I'm not saying you would react yeah. that emotionally to it, but that's sort of the, the, the brain is telling you, like, there's a reason why I didn't, it's not putting me in a place where I want to be. And I think that's something that sets great managers apart is they know when their job is to be um, a coach. And they know their job is just to listen and and kind of be an outlet. And there's no reason we can't do that as peers um, with one another as well. And so something that we get in our culture where you have a lot of um, really like solutions-minded, rational thinkers um, is that if someone states a problem, like you're going to jump in with solutions or ideas. um, And I think that's okay. But yes, as the person sharing this, like, you know, I'm I'm actually not looking for input. I don't want a solution. I just want to like talk about this thing so that I can get it off my mind, that's totally okay as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Being open about that and just stating that like four words up front, like I just want to say this out loud, I, I don't need your help solving it, um, can be very helpful and explicit. And then the expectations are clear. And then you don't walk away from that situation feeling like, oh, I shared this and now they think this and now they now I'm supposed to be doing this and I've got all these all this spinning going on um, because I've, I've opened up about this thing that I didn't really want to. Uh, and so that, that it's just a really good listening interpersonal skill to build. Uh, and the folks who are really good at it can just sense it without the other person even needing to say it, right? They can understand mm-hmm. if someone's coming with a problem or someone's coming with just like looking for an outlet to talk to someone about it. Mm-hmm. And the next layer of it is 
I like making up all these silly examples, as you know, because why not? Life should be a little fun in some ways, but no one will have a better lens on playing in the NFL than Flanagan. So he's been through this experience before. And if somebody was wanting to play football and thinking about what it's like to come up and some of the thoughts, it's he's going to have a mentorship, we'll call it that, a mentorship lens where he can provide this, this insight. And so if you extrapolate that to a startup, the same thing goes for people who might be earlier in their their career, like one or two years outside of of school, they and the, or this is their first job, or maybe it's like they're they're still early in their career. Providing that lens of check in, whether or not someone's a manager, like that can be helpful. Hey, wanted to know, like, how are you feeling about things? It's super informal. That's one way. Or someone else opens up the door in the past, right, and assume they're not even on your team, but they've opened up that door in the past, and and you've provided some feedback. They said, Hey, I want to know, like, what should I be thinking about the way things are changing at the company? And just taking that next step to do the check-in, like, it's not a formal thing. It's not agreed upon, like, Hey, I've got a reminder in superhuman for three months from now to do a check-in. You just sort of know in the back of your mind, I'm going to ping Ms to just see like, how's Ms like, Mm -hmm. Billy, let's use Billy because it's a bad example. But like, how's, how's Billy? I wonder how, like, how's Billy doing? And then like, Billy appreciates that because that person knows that there are people that are thinking about them on this journey too. And Billy might have like 10 years of work experience, but hasn't been through a high growth startup before to have that lens on what should things feel like? Is this weird? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it, is the level of mm -hmm. like discomfort natural? And those little check-ins make such a difference. Yep. And this is basically an open invitation to the team to say, these are less likely to happen because you're not going to see someone on your walk to work and you can kind of walk the last block and check in. So really just make it explicit. It's in everyone's interest to keep each other healthy. It's in the interest of the company. It's in the interest of our goals and our outcomes to make sure that everyone that is here stays here and is in a healthy spot and like doing their best work and, and in a good mind space. And so, um, you know, there's an element of caring for others here that's good for the whole. Uh, and so if everyone checks in on, if everyone has someone that checks in on them in a somewhat organic way, we'll be in a much better spot versus someone that gets lost in a corner and like forgotten about and just kind of suffers in silence on their own, doesn't bring things up, doesn't have any outlets for it. Um, you know, that, that's, that's not going to be a good outcome. And so uh, very explicitly supporting and promoting these kinds of relationships, which to be honest, do happen organically for, for most people. Uh, but sometimes taking the extra effort to like proactively check in on someone um, that you might have heard from before or might have a good relationship with is good for the whole. Uh, it's good for everyone. And so the, the don't be a superhero thing is like one, take care of yourself, one, you know, talk to others. And the last bit is like check in on others. Like you, regardless of where you are, your obligation to others is to kind of keep the system healthy. Uh, and so, so that's the piece here that we wanted to communicate. So managing burnout is made up of compounding effort. We'll call it that is continuous and compounding effort that occurs over time. It is not one, it's not one thing that you do and then it's done and you never have to do it again. So here's the question for you is what are you going to do today that is going to help you to mitigate against burnout, Re recognized yes. or not. Yeah, I, I know, I know, I know for sure. One thing for you, which is going to be interesting, that I've recognized in you. Yeah, um, 
given that you said you know what I'm doing, I'd love to hear it. Having never met you, having never spent sure. time with you, this is how well we know each other remotely. I know that you value your bedtime routine and you are, it takes a lot to shift you off of that routine. You will do it if something is existential, but you hold true to it as a core part of your priority portfolio. So going to bed and maintaining your sleep hygiene is one of the things that you will likely do. This is my guess. One of the things you will likely do today that helps to compound over time in mitigating burnout. Yep. Right or wrong? Um, yeah, that's one. I think healthy boundaries. So like walking away at the end of the day, closing the computer, saying you're absolutely done. I saw a thread in the water cooler earlier. Uh, I think Ian was asking for like what other people do for their shutdown ritual and routine to, to keep it uh, honest because he felt like he was slipping in some spots where he like checks in the morning and is kind of overwhelmed. So um, things like that is it, it, it's there's no one piece. It's a lot of little things that all get added together. Um, making sure that like your mornings run the way you want them to like you make the space for the, the things that you want time for before you just kind of like jump right back in and, and kind of mindlessly get into work because as soon as you open it up, it's very easy to to go deep and just kind of look up a few hours later and get stuck. So working intentionally, building in time and space for, for personal routines and rituals and priorities. Um, we're lucky that we have the flexibility built in that allows people to live their lives the way they need to. If someone's got a morning activity from eight to 10, that's totally fine. Like there, there's not like a bunch of recurring meetings that are, are pinning them down. Uh, and so a lot of that is very flexible and gives people the room to live their lives and work their, work their lives the way they need to. Uh, and so I think we're, we're lucky to have that and we should make sure that we capitalize it and make sure that we're using that to the fullest to keep people in a really good spot. That is the key. The key is routine. It really is consistency, getting the reps in and routine. So it's burnout can happen when things get so far off of a routine that, and the routine is not, um, routine looks different to everyone, but routine can be routine is based on these habits, right? So you have a habit of a positive habit of good sleep hygiene. You have a habit of triaging communications in a certain way. You have a habit of, and things feel really, um, burnout can happen or things can start to feel anxiety inducing when they are outside of your core habits, whatever those might be. And it's, so it's great to recognize those little things and then know what they are for you. What are your levers that give you that feeling of positivity and that giving you that, that feeling of stability? I think stability is probably a good way of offsetting burnout. When you feel really grounded, burnout does not happen. It's when you start to feel like you, your habits are slipping and the habits that you associate with positivity and with your identity and all these things that all of a sudden you feel like you're on the slippery slope of a mountain and you're no longer grounded. And that is sliding down the mountain into a path of burnout. Yep. The other one I would add on there is just to stability and routine is a sense of control and building in room for freedom, right? When you're in control, when you, when you've, when, when there are no surprises and we're like, you know, regardless of what comes, you've got a solid foundation. You're pretty good to weather the storm that that's ahead. <laughs>